Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hooksit. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. If you're being encouraged or challenged by this teaching, would you consider giving us a five-star review? That review and rating moves us up the list so others might find us more easily so they too can benefit from this podcast. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. In prayer here this morning and and just turn our hearts to God. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us around the town and around the state, in some cases the country and the world as people tune in live. Father, I, I pray for our worship here this morning for the message that you've placed on my heart. You knew who was going to tune in, those that are part of our church family, those that are extended family. Uh, You knew what they needed to hear this morning, and I trust that you will guide me as I bring that message that it might instill confidence and hope, that it might challenge and confront, Lord, that we might learn to trust in you even during difficult times. I want to take a moment as well, Father, to pray for my brother pastors around this country, our sister churches, the Lord, in this new normal as uh, many struggle to figure out what's next and how they can have church, Lord. I, I pray that you would bless them. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you've given us here at Emmanuel to help others and um, to guide them in, in how to do their feeds and their live streams. And I just pray that um, many people be encouraged by the unity they see in the body of Christ. Lord, that uh, we as Christians are able to rise up and love one another and show the world that you are still here and you inhabit your people. For those that are watching online that may have never trusted Christ as their Savior, I pray that today would be a day they would place their faith in Jesus once and for all and might have that confidence for the rest of their lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. (laughs) I know many of you guys are probably in your PJs right now. I had to get dressed and come over. I'm probably coming over my PJs next week. I'm just going to be straight up with you. You're probably wondering, like, where's Angel? Um, Angel is sort of on a, a mini quarantine because he was working with someone who might have been exposed, and so he's home with his family. Our drummer, same story. Uh, and so limited worship team this morning did a great job, guys. Really appreciate you being here. Sacrifice coming out away from their families to be with us um, this morning. But really do appreciate that. Um, and so pray for those that have been exposed to this, to this, um, to this virus. Uh, pray for our nation. Pray for our leaders. Uh, I hope that you will consider how you are posting on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and all the various streaming platforms, that you'll consider your words and you'll ask yourself the question, maybe before posting, 
what result am I looking for in posting this comment? Um, these are times for us as a country to draw together and not to create more division. And so I hope that you'll consider that thinking, I know it's a novel idea, we should think before we speak or before we post. Well, that's something that we should all be doing. This morning, I want to talk about the foundation of peace. If you've been part of Emmanuel for maybe a few years, you've by now heard my story. I had written another message and I had prepared that message. And if you have the Bible app, you're going to see a confusing conglomeration of scriptures and topics because I was editing it and then it went live on me. And so as I, as I got up this morning, God was just telling me that I had gotten it wrong in what I was planning on bringing uh, for a message today. And so I was laying there and I'm like, all right, Lord, well, you're in control and I need to obey you. And it doesn't matter if I've already worked on this other one. We'll scrap it and go with what, what you want. Now, some of you that have been members for a while, you've heard my story, as I said, and, and maybe you're like, oh, not again. Or maybe you'll listen with fresh ears as we are entering into a new trial in our country, unprecedented really in modern times. Um, so whether you're a churchy person or not, I want to encourage you and lead you to a solid foundation that will hold you up through all of the troubles of life. That's my goal this morning. And I want to just tell you a little bit about my story because this is probably the most trying period of my life where I came face to face with this question, do you really believe all of the stuff that you've been saying you believe? And so I want to tell that story this morning. It was about 28 years ago, I was in my early 20s, and I was thrown into the trial of a lifetime. And when I say a lifetime, I mean literally a lifetime. I'll be 50 in May, and the trials still keep coming connected to this event. My eldest daughter was born. She was asphyxiated at birth, suffocated. This is really hard to write this morning, but she had the umbilical cord wrapped around her neck and shoulders twice, and I watched as a midwife violently suction that little gray face whose body was still hidden in the womb. I didn't fully grasp what was happening, but I began to pray. The midwife yelled at my wife to push, and Trisha had lost all sensation and all contractions, and her body had shut down during this crisis. And Linda screamed again, push. You don't need contractions. And Trisha heroically pushed Kirsten out. She lay on the birth of material as still as a broken doll, lifeless as far as I could tell. I thought she was dead. Limp, no rise and fall to her little chest. No whimper, no fluttering of eyelashes. There was nothing. And there I was, 21 years old, just a baby myself, falling to my knees and crying out to God to please save my baby. 
I can still feel it. 28 years later, I can still put myself in the room, still see the chaos. The crisis didn't end when they swept her up and resuscitated her, got her a little heart beating, intubated her, and later medicated her. The years that followed included surgery, psychosis, transitions, and more. I can still smell the soap on the wall as you walked into the advanced care nursery. And we were practicing wash your hands back then with that red soap. If you've ever been into a hospital when you're going into a clean room and scrub your your hands with the soap and the smell of that soap mixed beautifully with the smell of the coffee burning on the, on the, uh, the coffee maker that was at the Elliott Hospital, Hospital Advanced Care Nursery. I would walk in every morning at 5.30 a.m. before I went to work to visit my baby, my daddy's girl. I would sit by her little table and I would just hold her hand and pray until it was time to leave. I would talk to her would love her. And now years later, that trial continues to teach me that God is faithful. Even when I'm not, even when I can't understand, even when I fall and fail, He never does. He made a way for me to know Him, to be loved by Him, to be cared for by Him. He met me in this trial and maybe In this time of uncertainty, He will meet you too. Maybe this is your time. I recently spoke with a young lady and I was asking her, have you ever experienced suffering or a trial? And she sat there and she looked at me with this confused look on her face. And she said, I don't think so. And I thought, how unique. You're about to. (laughs) You're about to. God had been preparing me for the moment that Kirsten was born, and he would use that moment in the coming years to forge a life that would hopefully give, no, I know, would give others hope in their own storms. I'll never forget going into the room with my wife after the delivery. We weren't allowed to hold Kirsten She hadn't even touched her yet. And that first night was incredibly difficult. Her Bible was packed away in her suitcase, and so I searched in the nightstand by the bed for the Gideon Bible. It was... (laughs) It's hard for me to understand why so many people are so against putting Bibles in hotel rooms and hospitals. It doesn't hurt anyone, but boy, can it help you. I started rifling through the pages of that Bible, and it was there that I found the passage I want to share with us this morning. It brought an incredible amount of comfort in that moment. And I looked at my wife, Tricia, and I said, and we had been coming to church for a couple of years by then. I had professed faith in Jesus, was serving in ministry. But in this moment of crisis, I looked at my young wife, And I asked her the question, do you still believe all this stuff? 
Sometimes it seems like crises have a way of shaping our faith and challenging what we believe. And she looked at me as calm as the eye of a storm as she has always been. And she said one word, yes. It was a crisis of faith. Where was God? Where is God now as we face an economic disaster, as we face a medical crisis, infrastructure being strained? Where are we now? Where is He? Well, He was there and He is here. He gave me a word that day. I opened the Bible after we had that moment and He met me there. He was and has always been with me. And I hope this morning that you will get to know Him in the same way that I do. Not just a church, not just religion, (laughs) not just an idea, but God. God Himself. And although God requires us to walk through trials and through hard times, The amazing thing is that he is willing to walk through them with us and to, yes, suffer what we suffer. The God of the universe, who has no need to suffer, chooses willingly to suffer with his creation in order to provide us joy and strength and comfort during those times. And he is with me now. He was with me this morning as I wrote this testimony as I struggled to hold back tears, as I was typing, remembering anew the pain and the uncertainty that I felt, he was standing beside me with his hand on my shoulder, lovingly reminded me that this is what I was called to, that Jesus is always near to those who have trusted him as their Savior. So will you turn with me to probably one of the most important passages of Scripture in my life, and maybe it will become one in your life. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 17, we'll begin reading there. Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. It's my hope this morning that I join that great line of witnesses with Paul, and that I establish myself in such a way that I can be a pattern for those who follow. That's the calling for every pastor, every leader in particular during times of crises, that we establish a pattern, that we do not panic, that we remain calm, that we have faith and even joy in the midst of trials. For many walk, Paul says, of whom I've told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. There are preachers and pastors who are not following Jesus who will try to take advantage of you during this time. And Paul is warning us, look for those who walk like him. Our citizenship, those who have trusted Jesus, is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. 
Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Iodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel and with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. He says, stand fast, therefore. And when he says, stand fast, therefore, in that passage of Scripture, Pastor Z, our founding pastor here, who founded this church back in 1978, he used to always teach us, when you see the word therefore, look back to see what it's, right, Pam, what it's there for. And what it's there for is the cross of Jesus, our citizenship in heaven, the hope that we have. He led this apostle to write this amazing letter to this early first century church. When I was 21 years old, I had no idea how important this letter would become to me, how God led Paul to write it, not only for those first century Christians, but also knowing that in 1992, this 21-year-old kid was going to open this Bible and begin to read there. He knew I would read it when he wrote it, and he wrote it for me personally. And he's been writing to all believers for all time, so that when we read it, we can know He's written it to us. Well, I'll tell you, when he wrote this letter, he wrote it from prison. Paul the Apostle, who's writing this letter, was writing it from a place of imprisonment. And he was challenging these Christians to have joy and to have confidence, even though he himself was incarcerated, even though he didn't know what was going to happen tomorrow. Even though there was crisis on the earth at that time and there was persecution against Christians that was horrific, he was telling them to have joy. As a matter of fact, the chief theme of Philippians, this, this letter, is the theme of joy and is being written from incarceration. It's unbelievable to me how he was able to write with such confidence when he didn't know what would happen to him the next day, ultimately, he was murdered for his faith. In this time of uncertainty, in this time of distress, into the crisis walks Paul. And he says, stand fast. Be at peace. Have heart. Have hope. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you are. Why? Who are we? Who are you? So many watching online, I can't see your faces. Who are you? Well, it begins with the cross. My identity of, of who I am is wrapped up in the cross of Jesus, and I hope for you it will be by the end of this message. The cross represented something, and it has represented something for 2,000 years. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But before the cross was worn around our necks as a necklace, before the cross was hung as decoration on, on walls, before the cross was in a song, the cross was an object of terror, of torture, and of fear. When we see the cross today, it doesn't really inspire any of those things, especially when you see kids wearing crosses around their necks and, and thinking so lightly and not understanding that in the first century, to talk about the cross and to see the cross was to see an instrument of cruel, brutal torture and death. 
It was a deterrent for criminals and insurrectionists. But after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the cross began to represent life instead of death, hope instead of despair, and love instead of hate. And so what about the cross causes Paul to say to us, stand fast? What about the cross? This instrument of cruel torture Paul uses as an instrument of hope. How can we be a solid rock in the crashing storm? Well, we begin, we begin where Jesus' earthly ministry ended. On the cross, Jesus had seven sayings. And one of the sayings that he had was, It is finished. It is finished. What was finished? The way back to the Creator, God was finished. The way for God to become intimate with His creation as a father to His children. The way back was finished. The way back. The penalty for our sin that had separated us from our Creator. That penalty was paid in full for all of the sins of all mankind for all time. It was paid in full on that cross. The cross of Jesus. Not just any cross, but, but the cross of the perfect one. When God created the earth and He created Adam and Eve, He created them knowing that they would fall. He knew that they would go to the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He knew they would pluck that fruit. He knew they would turn away from Him. And in the creation, the Bible teaches us that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. That in the creation of the universe and everything in it, including us, God included His own sacrifice. He took responsibility for His creation to prepare a way back to Himself. How did He do that? He stepped into His creation as Jesus. The way to forgiveness of our sin, the way to restoration with our Creator is the cross of Christ. He died for our sins on the cross. He made a way for us to have a real relationship with the Father. On the cross, the barrier between us and God was absolutely shattered. Some of you feel so far from God. If you've never trusted in Jesus, can I challenge you? Look to Him today. If you're a believer and you feel God is so far away, can I remind you? that the cross of Christ forever removed whatever barrier you may perceive to be between you and God. When Jesus died on the cross, the story goes, and it's a true story, that there was a veil, a big giant curtain in the temple of God in Jerusalem. And that veil separated the Holy of Holies, the place where God would meet with the high priest. It separated that space from all other people. And the only person that could enter in there was this high priest. And he had to bring a sacrifice for himself and for people. No one else was allowed to come into the presence of God. But when Jesus died on the cross, that temple veil was torn in two, and the way to the Father was wide open because of Jesus. So can I ask you a question? Do you know God in a personal way? Do you, know, do you know Him like that? Like, when you 
are struggling and praying, do you realize that he is there in the room with you? As I was preparing this message, he was in the room with me. And he was saying, just do it. Just do it. Relax, I got this. This is a personal relationship that we have with God. See, our worship team, when they were singing this morning, they're singing to an empty sanctuary, but they're not alone. They were singing to God. And he was listening to their songs, and and songs in churches around the world that might be empty today of people are full of the presence of God soaking up the worship of his children. Do you know that in your living room or in your kitchen or your bedroom, maybe you're in bed watching this on your phone, I don't know, wherever you are, you realize that he is with you right now? If if, If Jesus is your Savior, he is literally with you present with you, and especially during these hard times. In Romans chapter 8, he says this, what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, the word of faith which we preach. Paul is challenging this church in Rome that they were so close, some of them were so close, they just had to take one more step. Some of you, my friends online, some of you are religious, maybe you've been raised in church but you still don't have your sins forgiven in that close personal relationship with God. You're you're still struggling to understand. Can I tell you, Jesus died on the cross to remove your sin. It can't be your good deeds. It can't be your good works. It can't be turning over a new leaf. It has to be trust in Jesus alone once and for all. Look what the rest of the passage says. It says this, that if you... You confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that is to say that Jesus is God in the flesh, the supreme one, Jesus, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession, and that's not going to a person and confessing sins, that's confessing this. Jesus is God and died on the cross for my sin and rose from the grave. That is a a confession that you're making. It's a belief expressed through prayer. Folks, you will be saved. For what the scriptures say, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. The same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. And here's what I would love for you to do. For whosoever... Whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved, saved from sins, from the penalty of our sins, from hell and separation from God our Creator. We will be saved if we will turn to Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, trust in His sacrifice on the cross and His resurrection from the dead. We will be saved and forgiven and restored and God will be our Father. Why did Jesus die on the cross? He did something for us that we could not do for ourselves and that no one else on earth could do for you. It had to be the perfect Lamb of God. It had to be God Himself taking on human flesh, taking responsibility for His creation. And all He asks of you is, will you trust me? Will you turn from your sin and yourself and your way to my way and trust me? If you're that person this morning, I invite you to pray right now where you sit. 
Go to the Father in prayer and say, Oh, Father, Creator, I have sinned and fallen short. Look in the mirror. I know that I don't even measure up to my own standards, God, but I believe Jesus came to earth, was God in the flesh, that He walked on this earth in a perfect way, and He died on the cross, paying the penalty for my sin, and He rose from the grave. And God, I ask that in the name of Jesus, You forgive me of of that sin, that You cleanse me and make me Your child. I hope that You'll do that this morning. If you have questions, certainly uh, message us, email me, call me, I don't care, whatever you need to do, get a hold of me, and I would love to have a conversation with you concerning your eternity and your present, because here's the next point. Identity, identity matters. When Paul says stand fast, and he says therefore, what he's really talking about is to those who are believers in all of the world, in all of the country right now, the, listen, the one segment of the population that should not be freaking out are those who believe in Jesus. Even if you run out of toilet paper, you shouldn't be freaking out. Even if you run out of food, you shouldn't be freaking out. Even if we begin to suffer, we shouldn't be freaking out because this world is not our home and what we should be doing is we should be reaching out, not freaking out. Right? We should be loving our brothers and sisters in Christ and loving our community in a way that they can see it and that's real and impactful. Our identity matters. Remember, Paul says, what he's saying is remember who you are in Christ. Our hope is in heaven, not in our good deeds, not in our good works, not in our morality, but in Christ. And when we trust in Christ and we walk with Him, we become as He is in this world. A beacon of hope. A foundation of certainty. It's an amazing thing. What He did is our anchor. It can give us peace if we know Him, if we walk with Him. Paul warns us there's a lot of pretenders out there. There are those who only care for themselves, those that are out for themselves. They preach a word about money and prosperity, and, and there's, a, there's a phrase in Christianity called the prosperity gospel, and they say, oh, if you'll sow seeds into this ministry, God will, God will reap a, a huge bounty in your life. Give $1,000, you'll get ten, and it's all bull. Paul the Apostle was killed for his faith. The early church, many of them died destitute and poor, and yet they died in joy and faith. Some of the poorest people in the world that are Christians live some of the most fulfilled lives. It's not about money and success. It's about knowing Jesus and making Him known. These people that peddle this, uh, this idea of come to Jesus and He'll make you rich and successful. Listen, they peddle meaningless messages, but God is not meaningless, and the cross is not just a prop for a clever turn of phrase. It's the message of hope, a relationship, and forgiveness. And if you have trusted Him as your Savior, it doesn't matter if all hell is breaking loose around us. It doesn't matter if we enter into another great depression. It doesn't matter if we enter into the great recession. It doesn't matter because your identity will be your foundation. We need to be the people that the world looks to. As I was in that hospital room with Tricia, and I looked at her, 
Listen, in this time of absolute crisis, when I was afraid and we didn't know if Kirsten was going to live or die, I looked at her and I said, do you still believe? Let me tell you something. She was the rock. She was what we should be during these uncertain times to an uncertain world. should be that rock. So what now? What can we do? What can we do? Now we get to my very favorite part of this passage. This is what I read. January 31st, 1992. I opened that Bible to Philippians chapter 4, verse number 4. And he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. And this is for those of you that believe on Jesus, that your identity is in Christ. He said rejoice all the time. Even in the hard times. And so I put worship music on. And there were songs that God sent to me that lifted my soul. Even when life seemed like it was being dragged deeper and deeper and deeper into the abyss, the Lord sent a song. In fact, He sent more than one. And all through my life now, I've I've been receiving the gifts of songs from God during trying times. I've written some, in fact. He says this, and and I think this is a great piece of counsel for those of us that are believers in Jesus. Let your gentleness be made known to all men. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the result of that is the peace of God which passes all understanding, will keep your, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We're going to break that down in a moment. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, Meditate on these things. What a great counsel from God's Word for, for, for crisis, for trying times. Those things, these things which, which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, so these things, how, I've, how I've handled being a prisoner in Rome, how I've handled being driven out of town, the Apostle Paul saying, how I've handled these horrible stories that you've heard have happened to me, how I've handled them, look at them, learn from them, receive them, and then do as I have done. That's what the Apostle is saying, and the God of peace will be with you. Man, Paul was driven out of town. He was stoned. He was whipped. He was imprisoned, but he kept the faith. And he was, he was, he was, he was constantly rejoicing. There's a wonderful story in the Bible where Paul has been, he's been in, incarcerated once again. Uh, and and in, this, in this prison, so to speak, he was actually thrown down in a hole. And, and the guard, you know, there's bars, a, a, a door closed and locked. And he's in, this, he's in this cell. And the Bible says him and his buddy Silas, they began to sing songs of praise in the middle of this 
trying time. They just lifted their voice up and God heard them singing. An amazing thing. We can rejoice even with everything is going wrong. We can rejoice. Church, can I challenge you? Flood your Facebook pages with songs of worship. Uh, if you follow Emmanuel on, 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 on YouTube, um, youtube.com slash Emmanuel hooks it, you'll see that there's a playlist of worship songs. Go to that playlist. Some of them you're not going to like. Uh, some of them you're going to love. I just try to put an eclectic mix together. I got some Toby Mac in there. Um, maybe you're, you're a senior saint and there's, there's hymns that you really love that move you, that, that ground you. Share those songs with others. Maybe you're not on a platform where you can share. You can still call each other and remind each other that there's still something to rejoice in. We are still the children of God. Remember your identity. Remember who you are. And, and rejoice. It's important even when circumstances are scary. And I would say especially when circumstances are scary, we can rejoice in the Lord always. The next one is be calm. Be calm. <laughs> Boy, I'll tell you what. There's not a lot of calmness going on. I was sharing last week. I'm going to sit down now. Um, I was sharing last week. Are you ready? Our live stream, ready? How's that? Nice? Huh, for like five seconds until I stand up again? Yeah. Um, I was in the grocery store. I mean, there's people throwing loads of paper towels, and, and there's panic on people's faces. Christian, that shouldn't be us. If there's anyone that should be calm in the world, it should be believers in Jesus. That doesn't mean that we're foolish. Go buy your supplies. But do it in a gentle way. Do it in a way when the, that when the world looks at you, they know that the Lord is shopping with you. When the world looks at you, they know that the Lord is shopping with you. Be calm. Pray about what scares you. And this might be a good one for you moms and dads that you have kids at home that are a little bit younger and they're afraid. I mean, some of them are probably celebrating because they're not going to school uh, up until the time where your parents tell you that you need to do your classwork and then instead of being afraid, they're angry <laughs> and they're screaming and they're running out of the house in terror because they have to do schoolwork at home, God forbid. But maybe you could, you could exemplify prayer to your children. Take this time to teach them that God is real and He is there for you and He hears you. Take everything you're worried about, everything you're scared about, and bring it to God in prayer. Break the spiral of anxiety in your life by bringing that anxiety to the Lord. You know, He knows our minds. He created them. He knows how our brains work. He doesn't tell us, ignore your anxiety. He doesn't tell us, ignore your cares. He doesn't tell us, ignore the trouble and the trials that are going on around you. He tells us to take them to him and leave them there. doesn't tell us to ignore them. If you keep pushing them down, you're probably going to get worse. So bring your anxiety to him. Talk to him about it. Ask Him for relief, a plan, certainty, and faith, but bring your cares to Him. 
Practice thanksgiving before thanksgiving. Practice thanksgiving before thanksgiving. I mean, it seems to me that we live our lives all year long and then November hits and all of a sudden we see the leaves starting to change and the cornucopias come out and then we're talking about what we're thankful for on the fourth Thursday of the month. And then the next week, we're scrambling for that one Christmas present that will make our wife love us. Guys, we should be thankful all the time. We should be thankful all the time. It has a way of resetting your mind on what's important. It has a way of of pointing you back to the Lord and what He's done for you. Finally, um, just a couple of more thoughts. The title of this message is The Foundation of Peace. And peace starts with Jesus. Whether you're a believer or not, whether you go to church or not, I hope that you get this thought through. Peace starts with Jesus. It starts with Jesus. It ends with Jesus. He's our foundation. He's the one that we can take all of our troubles and our trials to. He's the one that we can take our fears to. He's the one that we need to point everybody else to. And he is really is just as real and knowable today as he was 2,000 years ago because he is alive. He's alive and he wants to know you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to hear from you. And so peace starts with Jesus and Paul wraps it up. And I, and I love how he wrapped this up because this is such incredible um, counsel. Bring me back to that slide if you can. Uh, you're in control of your thoughts. Think the right thing. You are in control of your thoughts. Think the right things. It's beautiful counsel. It's powerful counsel. And it takes practice. He, he uses the word meditate. He says, whatsoever things are. And he goes down this amazing list. I, mean, I could go through it for you again, but it is getting a little bit late. And he goes down this list, whatsoever things are honorable, uh, true, pure, of good report, praiseworthy. He goes down to this whole list. And he says, meditate on these things. And can I tell you that when Kirsten was born and almost died, <clears throat> Trish was able to stay in the hospital for a week-ish, and then we were made to go home without the kid. You go home without the kid, or bedroom's prepared, and there's no baby in the room, and I know some of you guys have gone through similar things, and some of you guys have gone through worse. I would get up every morning, every morning, and I would practice thinking the right things. I'd practice it. I think sometimes that we want this quick fix, pop the magic pill, and everything's all better. Well, your mind is not renewed, usually, in just one moment. He says meditate on these things. So we could take this situation and we say, Lord, what's good about this? What's good about what's happening in our country today? Think about it. Well, I would say unity. Not only unity in, in, in some of our communities, but unity in our churches. Pastors helping pastors. Churches helping churches. Opportunities for the churches to rise up and be the blessing and show their community that they care. There's a lot of good going on. You go through that list, check off one by one by one by one. Even when all sorts of Horrible things are happening around you. Force yourself 
to find that one thing. If it's only one little thing, find it and think on it. When Kirsten was born, we didn't know if she was going to live or die for the first couple of days. I remember my prayers were as basic as this. Well, Lord, we wanted a girl. And you gave us a girl. And I would say, thank you for that. And I would say, Lord, uh, as of this moment, whatsoever things are of a good report, as of this moment, uh, she's still alive. <laughs> that was, they didn't have much more to go on. I remember going into the, in the ACN one day, now it's a NICU, I went to the ACN one day and there was a little baby hooked up to an echocardiogram and they were, they were echoing her heart and I thought, oh man, what parent, oh, I hope I can you know, hug that parent, I hope I can talk to that parent, encourage that parent. It's bad enough, they're in here and now they got to do this. And then I kept walking in after I washed my hands to smell the coffee and I'm like, wait a second, that's my kid. <laughs> What's going on? You know, and they, they thought they heard a heart murmur. And, and so that day, the good report was they didn't hear a heart murmur. Um, sometimes, listen, it doesn't have to be big things. It can be just little things. But find them and meditate on them. Of course, the bigger picture of that verse is it points back to Jesus because he is what is lovely. He is what is pure. He is what is honorable. He is what is true. He is the good report. Literally, good report, good news. He's the gospel. That's what good news means, right? He is praiseworthy. He is virtuous. And so you can use it to think of, I'm going to stand. You can use it to think of um, specific things to do with whatever crisis you're going through at the moment. And you can also use it to ground yourself in your identity in Jesus Christ. Well, if you're here today, I want to end on that. Think the right things. Turn your heart and mind to Jesus. If you haven't trusted Him as your personal Savior, if you're trusting in religion, whether it's Baptist, Catholic, Lutheran, Episcopalian, whatever it might be, listen, religion is not enough. You've got to trust Jesus alone. Don't trust Jesus plus your good works. Don't trust Jesus plus your baptism. Don't trust Jesus plus your church. Trust in Jesus alone and what he's done for you. Not what you can do for yourself, but only in him. And when you place your faith in Jesus like that, the Bible says you're forgiven, that you're given a new name, a family name, that you become a child of God. And then root yourself deep in that identity and allow it to be your anchor through trying times. That is the foundation of peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for those that have not yet trusted Christ that they would come to Him even today. Pray and trust Him to be their Savior and they would share it with us, Lord. And maybe click on that link on the Facebook page and fill the form out and say, yes, I trusted Jesus. Lord, I pray for those that have been struggling with anxiety, with depression. Lord, whether it's severe or whether it's minimal, that they would use this message to remind them to think the right things, to, to help them to stop the spiral, to help them to, to focus on the good things that you have given to them, on their identity in you. Lord, restore our faith and our faithfulness. Be with us during this trying time. Help us to be the calm, the eye in the storm that our communities can look to and be grounded in with us. 
Help us, Lord, I, I know Trish hates it, but help us to be like she was for me that night so many years ago. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hey all, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.